0: You're now tuned in to the Brendan King Show. From high above the circle in
1: downtown Indianapolis, here's BK.
0: We are back we are back thanks for tuning in it's episode 21 the bk show after a brief hiatus for a nice little vacation down to the sunshine state i feel terrific i feel ready to go it's a big month in downtown indianapolis and the surrounding community it's indy 500 month And we are roaring to get back to it after March Madness was unbelievable. But March Madness did create for an opportunity to get away for a little bit, step aside, get ready for what's going to be another great month and then ultimately the rest of the summer. And with that, I want to tell you guys that I am staying in downtown Indianapolis and 93.5 and 107.5 the fan for the summer and the next fall. For those of you that don't know, I am not back with the South Bend Cubs for the 2021 season. I wish them the absolute best. The 2019 Midwest League champions, what a run it was uh, in the booth with them for two years. We'll never forget the people. We'll never forget the personnel, whether that was Co-workers, players, coaches, fans, everybody was great. And I had nothing but great memories there for two years. And I'm going to miss it, but this is where I am right now. This is where I belong right now. Right here in Indy. And that means the podcast is going to continue. The podcast would have continued anyway if I ended up doing baseball this summer. It just wouldn't have been high above the circle in downtown Indianapolis. But I'm happy to be here. I'm thrilled to be covering something like the 500. And I'm ready to go. I feel great development-wise about where I am. I've got some amazing people around me. We're just going to have some fun. With that, this week, Jake Query, IndyCar Radio announcer, sports talk host, For the ISC Sports Network, you hear him on the NTT IndyCar Series radio network with the voice of IndyCar, Mark James. They were down at Texas this past weekend. Jake was a pit reporter. He is a turn announcer for the Indianapolis 500-mile race, and we are going to be working together for the month of May. So he jumps on today to talk all things IndyCar and let you guys know about what's going on with the series Next week, I teased this on social media and also made the announcement on social media, but if you have not seen one of the biggest guests to date coming up next week, May 11th, former New York Rangers enforcer, NHL hockey player, now an actor, had a role in Christopher Nolan's new movie Tenet, Sean Avery. Sean Avery is jumping on the show. One of the most controversial and just bad boy type dudes in NHL history. He did what he wanted, when he wanted, said what he wanted, and he still does it. But now he's a father. He's a podcast host. He's an actor. And big shout out to my guy, Brian Todd, for helping all things to get that facilitated Sean Avery is coming on the podcast. Give me some Stephen A. Ah! Now there's a lot to talk about Sean Avery with. There's a lot to talk about. Whether that's his NHL career, he has an unbelievable social media game, and in the past year or so, he does NHL play-by-play and color commentary from his house through Instagram stories. He used to live in New York City, just moved to California. We'll let him tell that story next week, but he had a series on Instagram where he was the patrolman of the bike lane in New York City, and he absolutely roasted truck drivers and car drivers for parking in the bike lane. Uh, We'll play a clip for you next week, but, again, this is a guy that played by his rules in the game and still does today. I'm thrilled to talk to him uh, you know, we had Chris Long on. That was awesome. But this, this is legit. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be really, really cool to talk to Sean Avery. So that is your announcement for next week. Again, jo- Jake Query joins us this week. Talk all things IndyCar. But as the weekend just finished up, and I was watching from Naples, the NFL Draft... A lot of moving pieces and a lot of storylines have just been created. But there's one particular situation that we've already seen before and that we've already seen countless times. It's the Chicago Bears drafting Justin Fields. Ryan Pace moves up and gets his guy. Where have we heard that one before? Oh, uh, you could probably guess. We've seen this movie a million times with Ryan Pace and the Bears and Matt Nagy. It's like the Shawshank Redemption on TV every week. You need to watch it when it's on. And this is going to be absolutely entertaining from the Bears. And I've got a lot of Bears fans that listen to this show. I know I have a lot of Chicago people that listen to this show. And what I'm about to say over the next five or ten minutes is not a personal shot at you. It is what have I learned from growing up in the Chicago suburbs and Chicago being my home city. This is what I've learned over the last 26 years. I'm not necessarily a Bears fan, but I sure follow Chicago Bears football because how could you not? How could you not? It's like the Shawshank Redemption Every weekend, you need to watch it when it's on TV, whether you're laying on the couch and you're hungover, you're eating chips, whether you're getting ready to go out. The Shawshank Redemption is on. You watch it. That's just the rule. When the Chicago Bears welcome in a young quarterback, you watch it because you need to. It's appointment television. And in Chicago, here's how this is going to work with Justin Fields. First of all, those of you calling on him to start week one, why? Why would you say that? If you're calling on him to start week one, you're already setting unrealistic expectations. That's not to say that Andy Dalton is going to win a Super Bowl this year. He's not going to (laughs) Andy Dalton will never win a Super Bowl. Andy Dalton will never win a Super Bowl as the starting quarterback of a team. As a backup, Blaine Gabbert just won a Super Bowl, Okay. Those of you saying that Justin Field should start week one, that is setting such an unrealistic expectation for the kid. You drafted Mitch Trubisky second overall. You let him wait it out a little bit. You put him in. You're a double doink away from a long playoff run. Trust me, I get it. You're a double doink away from going to the playoffs and maybe making a run with Mitch. That would have changed everything. That would have changed everything. Everything. But right now with Justin Fields, he comes in after the Big Ten at first was refusing to play football. Suddenly, he's thrown in the fire. Now, I'm not going to make any comment about Justin Fields on the field. Justin Fields on the field, that's not for me to comment on. A lot of people scout quarterbacks. I'm not a quarterback scout. He's a great football player. Sure, he struggled against the Northwestern defense. But I'm not going to make any comments about Justin Fields on the field. What I'm going to comment on is the situation of the Chicago Bears when they draft a young quarterback. We've already heard Andy Dalton is QB1. Andy Dalton is QB1. But here's how this is going to work in Chicago this year. Because again, we've seen the movie a million times. It's like watching... A Few Good Men, Shawshank Redemption, Back to the Future, whatever classic movie. It's like watching the Chicago Bears with a young quarterback. This is what's going to happen. Andy Dalton will be QB1. In training camp, he'll have a decent preseason. He will have a decent, decent preseason, enough for Chicago Bears fans to be like, oh, okay, yeah, give him a shot. Andy Dalton will be the starting quarterback for the Bears in 2021 for five to six weeks. Five to six weeks. That's what I give it. If he doesn't get hurt, and I'm never going to wish an injury on somebody, if he does not get hurt, Andy Dalton will start for five or six weeks. Remember who his backup is right now. Take Justin Fields out of the equation. Before the draft, Andy Dalton, his backup is Nick Foles. Nick Foles is good for one win a year. He's good for one key win a year if he's not in an Eagles uniform. If he's in an Eagles uniform, he's going to win you a Super Bowl. Nick Foles is good for one key win. There's going to be that fifth or sixth week for the Bears where Andy Dalton, oh, he's just terrible one Sunday. Just brutal. Nagy puts in Foles. Foles is going to go win a game. Foles is going to go win a game that Dalton was about to screw up. Then what's going to happen? Well, it's a three-step system in Chicago. The first system is the fans. Passionate as they are, look, I'm a Cubs fan, I get it. Passionate as they are, they screw stuff up. Because then they start getting into the media's head. Oh boy. Oh boy. When Andy Dalton sucks in week five or week six, Nick Foles is going to come in, he's going to go win a game, and the fans are going to start to say, bench Andy. Well, you can't play Justin Fields... Can't play Justin Fields when Nick Foles just won you a game that you weren't supposed to. Let's say at that point the Bears are 3-2. and two. Actually, let's say that propels them to 4-1. Let's say Dalton had a decent start. Let's say, though, that Dalton sucks in Week 5. Let's say that propels the Bears to 4-1. Nick Foles, the fans are going to start to be on Nick Foles. If Dalton sucks for another week... Nick Foles is starting week seven, because fans will start to call for it, and as mentioned, that'll get to the media. Look, we talked to David Kaplan the week before the vacation. David Kaplan is one of the most reliable, one of the most entertaining, and most importantly, most importantly, one of the biggest fans in Chicago media. David Kaplan, as you heard on that episode, has been around for a long time. When David Kaplan says something, stuff gets around. Same case for the rest of Chicago media. Whether that's radio, television, or print. Whether that's the Trib, whether that's the Sun-Times, whether that's 670 Score, ESPN 1000, Comcast Sportsnet, WGN, I could care less. Word gets around for the Chicago media like wildfire. That's how it works in a big city. Nick Foles is going to be pressured By the fans, then by the media saying, hey, is Dalton the guy? Maybe get Foles a full starting look. Foles went and won that game last week. Dalton just sucked again. I mentioned it's a three-tier system. Who's the last tier? It's Ryan Pace. It's the Bears GM. Ryan Pace knows Chicago media. That's how that city works. That's how the city works. It's a big city, but it's a little city. Because the GMs and the presidents and the head coaches, they know, they know the big media people. And Ryan Paisley would be like, hey, Nick is, Nick has stepped up for us the last two weeks. We're going to the week seven. We're four and two. Andy Dalton just is not cutting it. Then who's responsible? Right, Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy, who every Bears fan I know hates. Matt Nagy takes a beating. And again, I'm not going to comment on a guy's job. Sure, has he called terrible plays? Sure. Has he made some bad decisions? Sure. I'm not going to comment on a guy's job. Matt Nagy's in such a tough spot. Because then Ryan Pace is going to say, hey, give Nick a look. Then Nick Foles is going to start. He might win a game. Nick Foles starts week seven. Nick Foles starts for the Bears in 2021 for a max of three weeks. It's going to take three weeks Before the wheels start turning again, things are going to be running and running and running and running. And stop. Stop, stop, big stop. Emergency break. Nick Foles throws three interceptions and a touchdown against whoever. And with this Aaron Rodgers crap that's coming out, what if Aaron Rodgers isn't in division? What if Aaron Rodgers is not in the division next year and the Bears are still struggling to compete for first? What if Nick Foles is starting Week 7, Week 8, and Week 9 and is just not cutting it and you already benched Andy? You already benched Andy. You can't go back to him, right? No, no, you can't go back to him. What does that say? You cannot go back to Dalton. Foles isn't cutting it. He has struggled two weeks in a row. What happens? The fans they start to remember who they drafted 11th overall. They start to look at highlight tape from Justin Fields. They start to say, "Oh, I want to see I want to see Justin Fields out on Soldier Field week 10 the season ticket holders. The fans, the people tailgating outside of Lake Michigan. It starts to buzz around the city. Who starts to pick it up? Tier 2, the media. Why not start Justin Fields? Why not give the kid a look? Nick Folds has lost back to back weeks. We're four and four now. Four and five, whatever. We're four and four or four and five. What if that happens? The media starts to say, why would you draft him 11th overall if you don't think he could start? What does that say about Ryan Pace? That's the magic word that's the magic word as soon as the bears go four and four or four and five and the media starts to mention just get the idea that Ryan Pace might have screwed up with drafting Justin Fields and they haven't played him yet they haven't played him yet Ryan Pace starts to go into Matt Nagy's office say hey man I drafted this kid 11th overall, and the media is starting to get on me. How about you give a look instead of Nick Foles? And Nagy starts to say, Ryan, I don't know. I don't know if he's ready. I don't know if he's ready for that yet. Who's got the power? Nagy, who's likely to be fired with another lackluster season? Or Ryan Pace, who is also likely to be fired with another lackluster season? But usually, who's the first to go? I'll let you answer that the head coach of the GIA. Justin Fields is going to be the Bears starter in Week 10. And again, I'm not going to comment on his on-field readiness or anything, but I will say that he is going to be thrusted into a situation in Week 10 with the Bears, again, at either 4-4 or 4-5. They're going to start fine. They're going to start just fine. The defense will carry them. Andy Dalton will get by. Then Andy Dalton... Again, it's going to be replaced. Nick Foles comes in after winning a game in relief. Then Nick Foles loses back-to-back games. And then again, things just start cooking in its own juices. The fans start picking up Justin Fields. The media starts to pick up Justin Fields. And then Ryan Pace starts to pick up Justin Fields. It's like clockwork. I'm from... The Chicago suburbs. I spent a good majority of my childhood traveling to the city every weekend. I get the city. I get it. I know a lot of you Bears fans listening may be already criticizing me because you're saying, "Oh, Andy's going to be great," or you know, Nick won't do that. Justin Fields should start with. If you start, start Justin Fields in week one, you're setting him up for disaster. You're setting him up for disaster. Trey Lance is not even going to start week one for the 49ers. Jimmy G is still a 49er for now. The only person, actually two people, the only two people that should be starting week one for their respective teams are one and two. That's Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. And Zach Wilson's a stretch, but here's the thing, who also the Jets are going to start? Nobody. You can't oh, yeah, because you literally gave Sam Darnold to the Panthers. And is there a happier man in the world right now than Sam Darnold? I think not. Matt Rule is giving Sam Darnold a kingdom in Carolina. You think Sam Darnold's happy? You think he's laughing at Zach Wilson right now? I personally like Zach Wilson. I mentioned that on the podcast before. I like Zach Wilson. But on the Jets, I've already told you how I think the Jaguars thing is going to go with Urban. Now, Trevor Lawrence might be good, but the whole Urban thing, as soon as they start losing, Urban's going to start having headaches. But Justin Fields, it's so... It's just so evident that this is going to happen. Andy Dalton for four to five weeks, Nick Foles for two to three weeks, give the range to Justin Fields. What happens then? I can't answer that because I don't know what he's going to be like in the pros. But I can tell you that this kid is going to be thrown in the fire, and God bless him, if he screws up. Look at how quickly people went on and off the Mitch train. Let me ask you, how many people do you know who were on and off the Mitch train like they were connecting flights to go down to Miami? On and off, there and back? I never saw anything like it. I feel so bad for Mitch Trubisky. Actually, now I don't because he's on the Buffalo Bills, and he's just going to be the next Frank Reich. He's going to be a lifelong backup to Josh Allen, and they're going to win Super Bowls together. And nobody's ever going to remember Mitch Trubisky with the Bears because 13 years from now, when Trubisky is still backing up Josh Allen and they already have two Super Bowl rings together, what happened to Frank Reich? He was a career backup. He was a career backup to Jim Kelly, and now he's looked at as a quarterback whisperer. People forget about things in a flash nowadays anyway. People don't remember what happened five minutes ago. You think people 15 years from now, if Trubisky actually goes and wins Super Bowls as a backup with Josh Allen, people are going to remember his time in Chicago. The diehard people will. Of course, the Chicago people will. But the general public, no way. And that's why Justin Fields, this kid is so young. He's still so raw. He's coming out of the Big Ten. He's a good player. He's 11th overall. You're supposed to be a good player. But when you've already benched Dalton and Foles, because that's what it's going to take to get him to start. He's not starting week one. That's what it's going to take to get Fields to start. You have to bench two guys in front of him. And the pressure on him then in a big city with passionate fans, with diehard fans, sometimes crazy fans, that's Chicago, and a media that is all over you. They will walk on your lunch, I swear to God, And I love David Kaplan. I'm talking about other people. David Kaplan is a good dude. But there are people in that city, media-wise, who will absolutely tear you to shreds. And sure, Justin Fields played at a big school. He played at Ohio State. But I'm not sure if he's ready for what's about to hit him in the face. It's episode 21 of the BK Show. Appreciate you joining, as always. Again, Sean Avery next week. Jay Query coming up here. Indianapolis 500, turn announcer, NTT, IndyCar Series, Radio Network, a pit reporter and announcer. Great guy that I will be working with for a good majority of the month of May. We'll have him coming up momentarily. But right now, let's get to BK's big play. Oh two. 2 Now, we have talked about this guy plenty on the podcast before, and that's because he's my personal hero, my personal mentor. That's Pat Hughes, the radio play-by-play announcer of the Chicago Cubs. We're sticking to baseball today. I also want to congratulate my man, the absolute best, Dan Hasty, the voice of the West Michigan Whitecaps in the Midwest League, a common opponent of the South Bend Cubs. Dan is... great dude and he had the opportunity as the Whitecaps are affiliated with the Detroit Tigers to get the call up and call Tigers baseball from Detroit a few weeks back and nobody deserves it more than Dan the man he is again just a terrific guy has always been kind to me has always been just welcoming to me anytime I traveled up to Grand Rapids so here on BK's Big Play, want to congratulate my man Dan Hasty on the call-up. But Pat Hughes, the radio play-by-play voice of the Cubs, he's got a new challenge this year, and that's because Pat is doing some TV play-by-play. And take it, you know, I'm a guy that's been doing radio play-by-play for baseball for four years now. And you know, I mentioned on the week before the vacay that I was doing another game, Notre Dame baseball. And that was TV play-by-play. And it's just such a different entity, TV to radio. Because, again, as I told you, radio, it's all about the description. It's all about painting the picture on TV. You're having a conversation with the person watching. You're literally having a conversation. You don't need to describe what's going on. You're saying what's happening. You're telling stories. You're having fun. It's it's such an interesting dichotomy between TV and radio. But now Pat, who has been the Cubs radio guy For decades, and before that, he was the radio guy for the Brewers. Before that, he was calling basketball on radio. So he is a radio lifer, but he has shown the ability on the Marquee Sports Network for the Cubs to just seamlessly head into the TV booth and just do what he does, and that's call baseball. And what I love most here about what Pat says on today's BK's Big Play is that he, he took radio... Strategy. He, he took components of radio broadcasting and put it into his TV call. And I'll play the clip for you, and then I'll break down exactly what I mean. Here's Pat Hughes right now.
2: The winning run yesterday, trying to drive in the tying run right now. And that's what he's done with a line drive down the left field line. The tying run is in. Nico going for two, and the throw to second base not nearly in time. Stand up, double, ball game tied at six.
0: How crisp was that? Now everything about that was completely crisp, and he motioned for having a TV call. But when I mentioned that he kept part of the radio stuff in it. Here's what I mean. At the start, where he previewed, he teased it. Nico trying to drive in the run. That is so textbook. It is so textbook. When there's a guy at third and you're trying to drive in a big run, you set up the pitch. And that's what him and I have talked about for years now. You set up the pitch, and you don't really necessarily do that often on TV where you set up every pitch. Here again, I'll play it.
2: The winning run yesterday, trying to drive in the tying run right now.
0: You see how he kind of paused for the pitch? That doesn't happen all the time in TV because on TV, you don't need to call every single pitch. But he brought in that radio component and had that little pause.
2: The winning run yesterday, trying to drive in the tying run right now.
0: Let the crack of the back go. Man, that's why Pat's a Hall of Famer. That's why Pat is a Hall of Famer. And then he let the rest of the call really be a TV call. So the first third of that, the first four seconds, was complete radio. And then it turned into a TV call. I'll tell you why, I I'll play it again.
2: And that's what he's done with a line drive down the left field line. The time run is in. Nico going for two. And the throw to second base, not nearly in time. Stand.
0: You see what he did for TV there. So instead of saying, "This is what he would have said if he was doing the game on the radio," if he was doing the game on the radio, this is what he would have said. There's a ball laced down the left field line. Over is the Reds' left fielder. I think it's Jesse Winker. Over is Winker racing around third. Is you know whoever it was scoring. You provide the play-by-play for every aspect in a radio call laced on the left field line, the left fielder after it, trying to get to it in the corner, racing home as the runner. Nico makes the turnaround first. He'll stand in the second safely with a double as the throw floats in from left field. He didn't say that. He crunched that down to a TV call. He only got in the stuff that really mattered and not in that extra detail. And that's what I've been trying to tell you guys over you know the last few months. It's such an interesting difference where you don't need all that extra kind of fluff, I guess, for TV. On radio, it's all about the active verbs. It's all about the different adjectives. It's all about painting the picture. It's all about telling the listener everything that is happening on the field. On TV, it's different. On TV, it's providing the most important pieces of information. And I'll tell you what, Pat Hughes, who (laughs) is filling in for John Shambi when Boog is doing ESPN stuff, That's more than filling in. That's Hall of Fame type stuff. It's BK's big play. Coming up next, Jake Query, IndyCar turn announcer, NTT IndyCar Series pit reporter. Just a great dude. A lot coming up. It is the month of May in downtown Indianapolis, the Indy 500, just a short time away. So let's toss it to Jake Query on the BK Show. Okay, we now welcome on from the NTT IndyCar Series Radio Network. It is Jake Query, just back from Texas as we get set for a great month of May at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway the GMR Grand Prix on May 15th, the 105th running of the Indianapolis 500 on May 30th. Jake, I want to ask you this first. Uh, how are you feeling and how's everything going, man, after uh, the the adventure and the journey that you went through? <laughs>
1: Well, I feel good. I appreciate you asking me that and appreciate you having me. Um, for those that don't know, you know, I did have, it was kind of, it's really weird how things work out like timing wise and calendar wise and everything else, because um, I was scheduled to leave for the IndyCar finale in St. Petersburg in October, which it's so strange, right? Because the way the seasons have worked and everything else, it's, It was, it almost felt like there was no off season. Maybe that was because of everything that I was going through in the off season, but in October on the eve of when I was supposed to fly out to St. Petersburg, um, I had a heart attack I'm 48 years old. So having a heart attack, I always knew it was a reality because of my genetics and that it was probably going to be in the cards for me. I didn't think it would happen in my forties, but it did. Um, And I was very lucky that I was able to get the attention that I needed very early. I was told after the fact that my survival rate for the heart attack that I had with all factors given was about 6%. So, you know, I got really lucky in that regard. I had Dr. Benjamin Mottman at, um, community hospital, the the cardiovascular and heart hospital of community health network up on the North side was the guy that I was, man, was I lucky that dude was working that day. (laughs) Um, so I um, went through that and then went through rehabilitation and did everything that I needed to do to try to get back, um, you know, healthy again. I felt good as soon as they opened up my artery instantly. I know I'm giving you a longer answer than you anticipated, but, but the irony is or the the coincidence, actually the better word is that the exact six month anniversary of my heart attack was the day that I left for St. Pete this year for the race. Mm. So, Uh, so you know it was kind of I guess a a feeling of accomplishment of being there Um, and we saw a good race in St. Petersburg and then obviously a good race in Barber at the beginning of the year and um, two races in Texas and now I'm happy that the month of May is here and uh, I'm happy to say that as my responsibility as a turn announcer for the radio network you know we are allowed a spotter to come up with us in the turns to kind of keep a lookout and help us out and and assist us over the course of the broadcast. And, um, I'm really happy that Dr. Mottman who I met in the worst possible scenario for me, uh, he's going to be my spotter. So I said, Hey, listen, I told him, I said, I got to see what you do for a living. So why don't you come see what I do for a living? And according to what he told me, I didn't quit talking the first go around, so I guess I won't (laughs) quit talking the second either.
0: That is so damn cool, man. Good for you, Jake. I'm happy to hear that. And, you know, we met last August at the 104th running. And, you know, when you walk out on the mezzanine from the media center last year and just kind of the no natural fan noise, it was just really weird. So I have to imagine for you, my man, that not only is this year getting fans back in the facility that special, but again you having your doc in the booth with you the one the 105th running is going to stick out to you for the rest of your life
1: yeah it will um, you know it's always a special day I, I think that you know every year during the playing of taps you know I think about the people who would like to be there that can't be there um, or that were aspiring to be at the race that, that we lost over the course of the year um, obviously last year when we ran the race you know, in October, um, was it August or October when it ran? So I can't even remember. It all runs together. August, August guess, 24th. Yeah. August. Yeah. So I guess in August when they ran it, you know, we already had lost people because of COVID-19. I mean, I knew I had a few friends that I knew who had passed away or, or parents of friends who had passed away. Um, shortly after my heart attack, another guy I know, from the Speedway. And I know I'm strictly because of his fandom for the Indianapolis 500 was lost due to the pandemic. Um, and then there are other things as well. So, you know, I always think about those things. I always am aware of the tremendous blessing I have to be there, of the fortune I have to have my health. Uh, so, yeah, I'll definitely think about it this year. I'm happy that fans will be back. Uh, 135,000. We'll do our best to make it feel like it's indeed representative of everybody that would like to be there, and then hopefully, of course, we're a year away from 275 again. We'll yeah. see, but but we'd we'll take what we can get.
0: Jake Queer is with us, Jake. I wanted to ask you about Bobby Unser as well. We're talking the day after of his passing at the age of 87. Now, I know you're an Indy guy. You grew up here. You grew up loving the track and you know the old drivers. Uh, what do you remember most about Bobby Unser?
1: I think the thing I remember most about him, you know, twofold. Number one, his first, or my first race is in attendance, I think everybody remembers the first race that they attended, right? Um, and for me, it was 1981 when Bobby Unser won, and, you know, you had the dispute with Mario Andretti and, and all of that. But so as a driver... You know, I only saw the twilight of his career, admittedly. It would be disingenuous to say that I have memories of him, you know, driving the Eagle and rolling out of Dan Gurney's car and signing on with Penske. I mean, that would have been, I was too young to really grasp what was going on. But he was such a colorful character in terms of, I think, that Bobby Unser had the month of May, like all of us, circled on his calendar every year. And couldn't wait to get back to the Speedway and to just hold court in the media center. I mean, the, the number of times I just sat and listened to Bobby Unser telling stories with Steve Shunk and Robin Miller, and, you know, and I was just a fly on the wall, just thinking to myself how lucky I was to be able to witness to that. But he was willing to talk to anybody anytime if he thought that it was because they had an interest in auto racing. And he was an ambassador for the sport from. The get-go, you know, I the first time that I had ever talked really to Bobby Unser, I had mentioned to Steve Schunk, who has been in public relations and worked for IndyCar for a long time, and it's just a great guy. He's never met a stranger. And Steve is very close with Bobby Unser, or was very close to Bobby Unser. And I had... Mentioned to Steve one time that I would love to talk to Bobby Unser. And he said, well, call him. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm, I mean, I don't I don't know him. He said, it doesn't matter. He's in the phone book. Just call him up. And Steve gave me his phone number, but this was back in the days when you still had, you know, directory assistants and things like that. So I, I looked it up, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, his number really is, like, publicly listed. So I called, and the phone rings, and Bobby Unser answers. And I said, my name is Jake Quarry and I work in Indianapolis and Indianapolis, home of the greatest race in the world, the 500. I just love Indy. And of course, running and winning the 500. Let me tell you, it was the, and I mean, we were off and running and I talked to him for two and a half hours, (laughs) two and a half hours. I never met the guy. And then, you know, I referenced it once I finally did meet him face to face and I don't even know if he remembered that phone call because I got the impression that's what he did. He just loved talking racing with people and wasn't afraid to tell you what he felt. Had a unique way in which he, he delivered his word. Um, and when he got inside a race car, it was, by all account, by all of his, what they, his contemporaries tell me, he was as competitive as anybody and would do anything he could to put his car in front of yours. But when he got out of it, he'd do anything he could to tell you or anybody else that wanted to hear about it, all about what it was like to drive it.
0: Man, what a family. What a family, man. And, you know, as mentioned, you just got back from Texas, Scott Dixon and Pato Award winning each leg of the doubleheader. Now, you were in the pits in Texas for race two. Uh, who stood out to you most, Jake, about who impressed you?
1: Honestly, I mean, Pato is, you know, Pato Award is is an unbelievable talent. And I think he put his car places and tried a couple of lines at different periods in that race that maybe others would not have maybe part of that is you know as he says cojones part of it's probably age <laughs> just being fearless like that um but i'll tell you who i think looked really good the Potto award is, is just unbelievable and scott dixon's unbelievable we knew that um I liked what Graham Rahal did. I thought Graham Rahal's car on both races, late in the race, the final two stints, it was like Rahal kind of felt around his car until it was go time. And then, uh, man, when he was able to go, he was able to go. And Graham has now told me twice about, I just get the feeling that Graham Rahal feels like this is his year for Indy. Mm that this is when he's got to get it done. Um, You know, there's so many things that go into winning the Indy 500, but obviously we know that team is capable of of winning the race. They've done so with Takuma Sato and, you know, previously with Buddy Rice. Uh, Listen, Graham Rahal impressed me, I mean, to answer your question. If you hadn't go with somebody aside from the winning drivers, those two impressed me. And, And oddly enough, because he was probably the culprit that caused the melee at the beginning of race number two in race number one, I thought Pietro Fittipaldi was pretty impressive because he hadn't been in the Noble for, I mean, you know, he hadn't been in an Indy car in three years and he goes out there in Texas. And I thought he ran a solid race to finish in the top half of the field in a race. Really, when you didn't have qualifying, you, you know, I mean, they, they just went out for a practice session and that was it. And I thought that he looked, Pretty comfortable, but then on Sunday, he probably checked up too early at the start of the race and that caused problems. But, you know, those are the things that jumped out at me.
0: Jake Query joining us. Jake, I think people forget Graham Rahal finished in third place in August Indy 500 and Colton Herta, a guy that was top 10, and Herta's already got a win down at St. Petersburg this year. Uh, what have you thought about his development?
1: Well, Herta's, Herta's development, he's a, such an interesting guy because he's He's just kind of a quiet guy. He's not real excitable. So you can't really tell exactly, you know, I've never seen Colton Herta get out of a car and thought to myself, wow, like he looks amped up or he looks, you know, rattled or any, any of that. His emotion is very steady Eddie, but there is no doubt about the fact that Colton Herta is, you know, an incredible talent. Now, if you look at, You know, in terms of Indianapolis, it's harder to tell because in his initial outing, he never got a chance to even get going, right? So, you know, you don't have multiple races really to evaluate and assess from one to the next where he's come. But um, he's going to be with – you know, he's got a great team. He's really good. I mean, Colton Hurd is really good. In his career, assuming that he goes a full career in IndyCar – there's no reason to believe that he will not eventually be an Indianapolis five hundred winner. Could it be this year? Sure, it could. There's no doubt about it. I think this year the roster and I know that we've said this the last handful of years, but you know, realistically there were probably years in the twenty tens where you looked at it and said okay, you know, there are eight cars that truly realistically can win the race. I, you know, this year it may be 15 Mm. Colton hurt is in that mix for sure. I always kind of, once they go through practice and qualifying, then I'll, I will look at it sometimes and say, okay, there's tier one that, that absolutely is going to be, you know, that are the favorites of the race. There's tier two that are cars that can win the race, but maybe need a little bit of thing, you know, a few breaks to go their way. And then there's Tier 3 that is, well, they'll go 500 miles, but I don't know if they have the horsepower to get to the front. And then there's everybody else. And this year, that everybody else is going to be a much smaller group than I think it has been in a long time. But I would think Colton is, is, as of right now, he's right there in between. He's right on the cusp of Tier 1 and Tier 2. And there's no reason to believe. There's always somebody, though, as we know, there's always somebody that just has – like lady luck does not go their way over the course of the month and they have the car just is never running right and they have a mechanical issue and they they're just chasing it the whole month there's always somebody going into the month that you think is a favorite that that happens with i don't know who that's going to be but there's always at least one of those
0: do you think alexander ross is kind of the opposite of what you just said though because he's had some bad luck and it's stretched for a while is that kind of the flip side of the coin where he's had bad luck and maybe the month of may can turn it around
1: He's got to get something turned around because, the, I mean, it's unbelievable the luck that's fallen upon him. Now, Rossi, with that said, Rossi has had and, – and this is Alexander Rossi. It's not – I mean, it's not fate. I mean, it's the way that he's been able to massage that place. Indy's been one place where he hops in the car and he's automatically a favorite. He just is – there are certain drivers. I think Montoya is one. I think Rick Mears is one. Castroneves clearly is one. There are certain drivers that just, for whatever reason, that track just likes the way they drive. Dyke is one. You know, Dyke, if you look at Lion Dyke, got his first career open-wheel, run and no- open-wheel win in North America at Indy, and, and that was his best track over the course of his career. There are certain drivers that it just works out for them there. And... You know, Rossi is is absolutely one of them. But that guy's luck. Look, I think, I think the world of Alexander Rossi's talent. I, I mean, I don't pretend to be a racing expert by any stretch of the imagination. But I've been around and I've I've seen enough races now that I, that just even as dumb as I am, you can eventually figure out like who's got some pretty natural skill. And I think Rossi is a borderline generational talent i really do i think his his mental approach his ability to understand the car his ability to know <clears throat> when to drive in a certain way and when to go in a certain way i mean in 2016 you saw it i mean there are the ability to hit that fuel number for that long to make that car last that long to win the hundredth There they're not a lot of I shouldn't say there aren't a lot of guys that can do that, but there are more guys that would fail at doing that than you would think. Yeah, And for him to do it as a rookie is impressive. But his luck, if you want to call it that, his fate – it's unbelievable. I mean, Gateway last year, start of the race. I turn around and there's Rossi walking in the pits. Well, what's he doing? Oh, that's right. He was just collected in that melee, Texas. It just happened to him. I mean, wrong place, wrong time. A lot, a lot, at no fault of his own at times. Mechanical issues. A lot of times at no fault of his own. I'm not saying that Alexander Rossi is completely 100% in his career absolved of blame, but you are correct that things have not gone his way. Um, but I will flat guarantee you that he, at some point in the Indy 500 this year, will run towards the front, to guarantee it. Mm.
0: You mentioned in that answer Juan Pablo Montoya, and he's back in the fold. Jake, how enticing of a pick is Juan Pablo for this year?
1: Enticing. Because there's two Montoyas, in my opinion. There's Actually, there's kind of been three Montoyas. There's the Montoya when he first came here which was as natural as it gets. As a matter of fact, I remember somebody telling me once the story. Well, I can tell you who it was, Mike Holt. Mike Holt told me the story, who was the, you know, the managing director for Ganassi when Montoya first came over and is still with Ganassi. But he was telling Rick Mears, he said, I'm telling you, Rick, this kid we've got. You, you, you haven't seen anything like it. It's unbelievable. Like, this kid's ability is, is unreal. And Mears had been out, out of the track. I mean, at that this was the year before Penske had come back over. But Mears was out there for whatever reason and saw. And he said, yeah, Mike, you know, a lot of people are like that when they're young. But this this place is different. It just is different. And then he said he saw Mears after Montoya had been in the car. And he's like, man, I'll tell you what, you were right. I mean, it's <laughs> You know, let me tell you something. And Mears, Mears had said, Mears told me once, he said, there's one place on that track where you get your speed. And he said, and I was convinced that not a lot of guys had figured that out. But Montoya's one of them that figured it out. And, of course, I then said, well, what area is it? And Mears said, well, there's a reason why only a handful of guys had figured that out. Mm. And that was it. But so Montoya, so that was that's, that's Montoya, the early years. Then Montoya... As a, as an older gentleman, and I say older, I mean as a race car driver, older, not older. But Montoya, as a veteran, let's put it that way. When Montoya wants to go, and Montoya wants to win, he can still do it. He can still bend a wheel like anybody. The question is, you know, when? When are those times? Well, we saw it when he first, when he first came back. I remember when he fell to 32nd in that race. And my cousin texted me. My cousin had asked me who's going to win the race. And I said, Montoya's going to win the race. I'm telling you right now. So my cousin's blowing up my phone. I'm up there. I was in turn two at the year and that year. And he's blowing up my phone during the race. Oh, He's falling back to 30 second. I can't believe he told me to go with Montoya. And I said, I'm telling you, lo and behold, here he comes. Right. And he worked his way all the way back up. And then he ends up winning the race. And I'm like, I'm telling you, when Montoya put his mind to it, it was over. Now. Which Montoya are we going to get? Are we going to get the Montoya that's like, hey, I wanted to to drive with Roger and I didn't get a chance that last year, so now I'm hungry and I want to prove somebody wrong? Or are you going to get – and this is no disrespect at all to like a Jacques Villeneuve, who I think also – I'm a huge fan of the talent of Jacques Villeneuve. But I think Jacques Villeneuve, the last year that he ran here, knew – that his job was to go out and do 200 clean laps and just bring it home. And and I think he was thrilled to be here and he was a gentleman about it. And he went out and ran a clean race, but he was never a contender in that race. There's the possibility Montoya is going to be that guy, but I don't see that in Montoya's DNA. I think Montoya is going to say, I want to prove that I can still do this. I want to prove that I should have been given the opportunity to do this for Roger. I do think that that drives him a little bit. Hmm. Are they going to have a good enough car and seven clean pit stops for him? We'll see. But I think he might be the most fascinating watch of the month. Honestly, yeah. I do, because that can go one of two ways.
0: Jake queries with us. Jake, I was thinking about this the other day. The GMR Grand Prix is May 15th, then <laughs> the 500 on May 30th. When you talk about the young guys and the way the schedule has started this year after just a dysfunctional 2020, obviously, two street courses to start the year, then two ovals on two consecutive days in Texas, then you go back to the street course, and then you go back to an oval for the 500. Um, we've heard the term trap game. Do you think the Grand Prix is a bit like of a trap race for the young guys where they were used to street courses start the year, then two ovals just dipped in, now you go back to the road course of the IMS?
1: I think it's, it's a brilliant question and insight. I think it's a trap game all the way around for everybody. Because, and I've had, I won't say any names, but I've had a couple of drivers tell me, that it's tough for them because they get to 16th in Georgetown and it's 8,500, 8,500, 8, 500, and then they're like, oh, wait, I forgot. And it's weird for me. It's weird for me the first practice session to go out to Pitt Road and they take off and I'm like, where are they going? They're supposed to, <laughs> wait, wait. They're going right. What's going on here? And so that that's always odd to me so i think it's yeah i think for everybody involved and i mean i get it i understand it i enjoy it i think it's a cool event i think it's a great way to kick off the month i think attendance at the at the opening had gotten to the point where it is a shot in the arm it's better than just having a practice day or the rookie orientation to open the month so i understand why why it takes place and it's a it's a beautiful road course i mean it's a it's a top grade road course so i get it but i and i like the challenge of it because it is it does kind of sneak in i mean it literally is like midterms are on sunday but don't forget you've yeah. got a pop quiz on monday wait what so i think it's challenging for everybody it's mm-hmm. challenging to in terms of the car setup and the engineering of it and making, and, and you know, everything that goes into it, making sure that you don't put yourself in position where you get hurt. I mean, everything. It's it's a total curveball. Absolutely.
2: Hmm.
0: JQuery, appreciate the time I'm in. Uh, here on the fan at MS, uh, folks can hear you every day this month, right?
1: That is correct. Uh, every night at eight o'clock, uh, I'm doing a show along with Mike Thompson, who knows more about racing than I will ever possibly comprehend. <laughs> and we do a show that we started this year, Beyond the Bricks, where we just kind of talk about, you know, just some of the side stories of the history of the Speedway and the personalities that have made it great, both in and outside of the car. And I look forward to it. Mike has a lot of audio pulled from over the years with IMS Radio and, you know, Sid Collins and Paul Page and, and Mike Yang and Bob Jenkins and things like that. So I look forward to, to doing it. It's fun. I always love – I love the passion that people have for the race because – it's what collectively brings everybody together in Indianapolis for sure. I mean, this look, the city's changed a lot in the early years. I mean, now you have NFL drafts and, you know, oftentimes Pacers in the playoffs and other things going on in the sports calendar that you didn't have in, you know, the sixties and seventies and eighties, but it still brings out a combination of the nostalgia as well as, you know, the excitement of, of today and the speeds and the sleek nature of the cars and the personalities. So, It's a great civic celebration, and uh, I'm thrilled to be able to be a part of it in a very small way, but just to be there in itself is always not only an excitement, but an honor.
0: Jake Query from the NTT IndyCar Series Radio Network. Jake, thanks again, man, and uh, look forward to be at the track with you this month.
1: All right, my pleasure. Look forward to seeing you out there.
0: Now, some of you have asked why I do the transition noise with the IndyCar engine noise. Well, it just so happened to work out perfectly today. I just think it sounds cool. I just think indie cars sound really, really cool. So I was when I was planning the podcast last December, I was like, "What do you want like a transition sound to be?" And be like, "What about just indie car engines?" It, it ended up working out pretty well. Thank you to Jake Query. We're gonna have a great month ahead. I really think that's an interesting little note of what we talked about at the end where. The NTT IndyCar Series had two street courses to begin the year, in Alabama, then in St. Petersburg, then a doubleheader in Texas, as Jake talked about, back-to-back ovals with guys like Scott Dixon and Pato Award looking really good. And May 15th, you know, it's like he said, it's the pop quiz before the midterm where you have the Grand Prix on the IMS road course, which is certainly a challenge, whether it's IndyCars or NASCARs. And then you jump in the 105th running of the Indianapolis 500 on May 30th. So that that is going to be my big thing to watch uh, for the month of May when we really look into what's coming up here. Great episode 21. We're back to it. Buckle up for next week about what the Sean Avery interview is about to be. I'm talking to him on Monday the 10th. We'll have the full episode On Tuesday the 11th, I'm telling you, buckle up. This guy plays by his own rules 24-7, and he's going to say some things that I guarantee are going to make you think and are going to stir the pot a little bit, but that is Sean Avery to a T. And I cannot wait to have him on. We'll take some voicemails next week. We'll get back into the Circle Center Speed around next week. Again, 317-699-2350. Call the pod anytime. It's the month of May. Talk some racing. Talk some hoops. Talk some hockey. Talk some ball whatever you want, 317-699-2350. Show email, as always, brendankingshow at gmail.com. The Friday Beers shirt link is still active on my Twitter and my Instagram. Buy a shirt, promo code suckdown-season-21. Buy a shirt, buy a hat, support the cause. We're going to have a great summer with Friday Beers. We're just getting started, baby. Let's roll. Sean Avery next week. We'll talk to you then. See you.